0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm donate to get our alien badges and art prints, featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise,
1: and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Of course, laid in, sir. Request
0: permission to get underway. Let's go. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me today, as she is every week from Australia, is Kate Walsh. And Kate, you know, you and I are sitting here right now, we're recording a podcast about enterprise while our American colleagues on the network are getting ready to consume copious amounts of bird.
1: (laughs) And who can blame them? Um, Yeah, Thanksgiving. (laughs) We don't uh, celebrate Thanksgiving here in Australia, so I tend to keep abreast of these things via Twitter.
0: Right, yes, and we don't celebrate that here in Japan either, and we don't celebrate it here in my house either, although I am American. I have been here so long that I kind of lose track of these holidays. We, As I told uh, someone yesterday, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but we do watch Snoopy make popcorn and buttered toast for everyone every year.
1: <laughs> so do Americans actually eat turkey for Christmas and Thanksgiving?
0: Yes, but for Thanksgiving turkey, that's the traditional dish. For Christmas, some people make turkey, but ham is also quite popular. It's, mm. it's not necessarily just turkey on Christmas. So
1: We should uh, bring in a new tradition of catfish for Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, I think that's if, if they were having Thanksgiving aboard the NXO one I'm pretty sure that Trip would ask Chef to airlock the turkey and uh, just make it catfish.
1: <laughs> catfish with some pecan pie for dessert and some nice Georgia peaches.
0: You know, I think Chef would really be into this discussion, but I think that what we should probably talk about today in terms of enterprise is something that's not quite as pleasant as food, something that's a little bit <laughs> scarier, uh which of course for a lot of our listeners that might mean tofu, but we're going to talk about the the spooky scary stories in enterprise. When we were talking about possible topics for today, you suggested horror on Enterprise, which, given Brannon's fondness for the genre, seemed like a fun trip to take. Enterprise has had its share of spine-tingling episodes, whether they be just spooky stories or outright horror. And Star Trek itself, of course, has a tradition of taking themes from horror and working them in and putting a space-age twist on them. So, again, this is a topic that you wanted to talk about, so why don't mm. you lead us in here to horror on Enterprise?
1: Well, as you said, Chris, um, the fact that that Brannon Braga, who was the executive producer and head writer on the series, is known for having a fondness for horror, was, uh, yeah, was a, a good uh, lead-in to, to look at how this theme emerged in Enterprise. But... You know, and i'm not i'm not sure how much everyone is is really aware of you know the strong history that uh star trek has in looking at horror themes and certainly i would say more so than any series tos really delved into that theme there were a lot of episodes that were portrayed as classic horror stories uh, and, and horror themes um whether it be vampires or uh you know possession or, um Uh, murder mysteries Halloween stuff there was all sorts of things that TOS delved into and they presented it in a way that was very much like the horror movies of the time and that that came shortly afterwards presented it so they really did it, it wasn't just the stories it was the um the style in which they were done yeah Um, And you wouldn't instantly think, you know, sci-fi and horror go well together. But, uh, you know, even Voyager played it up in terms of um, uh, Bride of Chaotica in a funny way.
0: You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because here in Japan, if you go in a video store, the sci-fi and horror sections are together. Mm. There isn't this distinction so much between the two. And I think that... These days, when you say horror, people tend to think more of slasher movies, yes, I believe more of kind the of blood and the gore and the psychotic killers and this kind of thing, which is really not the tradition of horror mm. as a genre if you go back into the nineteenth century, especially horror is really more of just stories that can frighten you or startle you and sort of induce these sorts of feelings of fright that we we'll typically try to avoid mm. and uncertainty right you know things that we try to avoid because of course as we evolved and before you know we had modern civilization we had we were a bunch more frightened by these things because it really was a matter of survival for us mm. and when you talk about the original series of course they had great writers And I don't mean great writers writing those episodes to say that we didn't have great writers on the other series. But what I mean is you had people like Richard Matheson Mm. writing The Enemy Within. And, you know, he primarily wrote in the horror genre. Mm. And also in terms of time in the 60s, they were closer to more of a pure form of horror in terms of literary horror. Than we are today where we have more of the Hollywood, the cinematic slasher type Mm. feel to the stories. And I think that's why you got a lot of those themes in the original series where, of course, you got the Jekyll and Hyde with Matheson's story, The Enemy Within. You got the the spin on Dracula with the salt vampire and the man trap. And Mm. you got uh, even things Mm. like the Stepford Wives with What Are Little Girls Made Of? Where you've you've got all the androids. Being built.
1: And that's not class, uh, well, it's not what we would normally think of as horror, what, what a little girl's made right. of. But it, it's quite unsettling and, and unnerving um, as a concept. And it there's it, it, ethical things that come into it too, but uh, almost in a creepy way. It's really interesting the way that episode is done.
0: It's not so startling to us today because we're accustomed to the mm. idea of artificial life forms mm. and we're accustomed to the idea of robots. In our own lives, and of course, androids through science fiction, but back in the 60s, Mm. the idea of those things like we see in What Are Little Girls Made Of is a much more frightening concept Mm. than it is now.
1: Well, well, what I do find is when I go back and watch those episodes from the original series, like that one that we were just discussing, um, even though nowadays that concept wouldn't be so startling, watching it from the 60s and the way in which it's presented it, mm-hmm. it it reinforces to me what it would have been like watching it in that time just because of the style so it's like you're watching it afresh
0: do you dress up in like <laughs> 60s attire to watch it do you do, you do your hair um, like in a 60s do yeah. so that you're really in the mood and
1: i have my apron and sleep protectors as well <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i like it when i watch cats paw you know i get all the candles out <laughs> and I get my little enterprise on a keychain, so I can dangle it along with Sylvia
1: skeletons out of the closet,
0: yeah yeah yeah,
1: well, in the book um it was a book written um an unofficial book called Future Perfect, and it was about the influence of Star Trek across yeah, I wrote that. the world yeah and there's a mm-hmm. part in it when it talks about um how Brandon, as a child, used to make his own movies with you know, children from the neighborhood and he would make Uh up his own fake blood in the kitchen, but he was actually terrified of real blood. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this was his hobby and he always kind of pursued that. And he went off to uh, college and um, then made his own horror films there as well. And so one thing that, that strikes me about Star Trek in general is that, you know, people have writers would have all sorts of completely different interests but science fiction as a genre is broad enough and all-encompassing enough that you can really tackle so many different genres through Star Trek. We've seen all sorts of you know genre episodes through the holodeck, which are a little more tokenistic, but, but the thing that most strikes me about the horror theme is it's just so compatible with sci-fi in general. And I think yeah. aside from the original series, But of all of the new series, in my opinion, Enterprise tackles that theme better than any of them.
0: I think the premise of Enterprise or the time that it's set in the 22nd century and the fact that our crew is going out into deep space for the very first time lends itself very well to that because they aren't necessarily prepared for what they're going to find the way our 24th century crews are. They're very accustomed to encountering aliens and often very Mm. frightening ones and also our crew on enterprise they don't have the same technology to help them that the 24th century crew does mm. as well so it is a very good setting for for horror in the sense of things that are going to startle or frighten you mm. and, and not in again as we talked about at the beginning the this more slasher you know blood gore type thing that people tend to think of well, we have a list of various episodes in Enterprise that do have elements of horror in them that we can talk about today. And of course, the first one is just right off the bat, kicking off the series, Fight or Flight, which I, I'm glad this episode came right at the beginning of the series because, as I was just saying, the fact that they're going out there for the very first time and they don't know what they're going to find, having the and R hanging upside down that was really scary and it was a a very appropriate moment to delve into horror.
1: And the fact that they're hanging on meat hooks for me, um, whilst it's not too overt or gory, that to me actually makes uh, the horror interpretation a little more contemporary than what we might have seen in the original series it reminds mm-hmm. me of something that we might have seen in a movie like saw but mm-hmm. it's not over it's done tastefully the focus is on the crew and their reactions to what they see um uh, you know and in particular with this one with hoshi who was the perfect character to explore this yeah. particular theme in this episode
0: that's key for me the fact that the focus is on the crew's reaction and how they deal with the experience. Because I, I'm not a fan of horror, really. And I'm certainly not a fan of the modern movies. Uh, you know, like, uh, well, you mentioned Saw, those types of movies. Mm. I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of those movies. I don't like blood. I don't like uh, violent um, or psychotic killers or, or any of this stuff. And but, but that's shocking. And so Hollywood tends to focus not so much on the reaction of the people, but more on the actual fright itself, and and the the vivid images and and such of the actual violence. Mm. So, the way it's handled in fight or flight, f- for me, definitely, uh, it it helps the story connect with me and get the the message, and get the feel for what the crew is going through.
1: Yeah, and it's it's that point of view per- perspective of. You know, we're here to live this journey through the characters and, you know, it's it, sometimes Star Trek can have a tendency to really focus on, you know, the alien species uh, as, as plot devices, you know, the the alien of the week. And, and sometimes the crew can feel secondary to, to looking at that and the novelties of this new yeah. alien species. But in this one, because the aliens are basically dead, um, you know, we are given that opportunity to focus on the crew.
0: Most definitely. If we move on to another one that we've talked about a bit on the show recently is Voxola. Mm-hmm. This one is really interesting because it's that, that unknown creature, that's mm-hmm. something that's kind of almost defies science yeah. and therefore is frightening because we can't really wrap our minds around what it is in the first place.
1: Mm. And it's not frightening because it's really, you know, it's, well, it's, it's not like something that's overtly attacking the crew. Yeah. It, it seems to be grow. It's like, it's not chasing them through corridors. So it's scary in a subtle way. Yes. It, it reaches out to them in the cargo bay, but you know, it's generally, it, it's growing, it's doing its thing. It's absorbing Archer and Trip. Um, but it doesn't, on some level, it doesn't come across as hostile. Um, it, it it When I, I look at this alien and, and I think it's possibly the way that some of the crew interpret it, certainly Hoshi, it's just another biological organism that's doing its thing, living its life, and they yeah. need to find out a way to communicate it. And the challenge of of doing that in time to save the crew is where the tension comes from. That's really good storytelling. Really good, really good way to tackle, you know, a, a horror story. It's in that subtlety. It's in that natural tension.
0: Another interesting thing about that alien in Voxella is that something else that horror does in the great tradition of literary horror is to to look at something in the society or in the environment that frightens us. Something that we we're fearful of because we can't control. And like you said, this creature is not chasing them down the corridors. It, it does affect them if they come into proximity of it in the cargo bay. And then it, it pulls them in and then it starts absorbing them. And it takes a long time, right? It's a, mm. it's a long process to be absorbed by this creature. If you think of something, you know, an environmental risk Even if I think of something today, I can think of something like global warming, Mm. or I actually don't like the term global warming because it isn't really very accurate climate change. Mm. So climate change is something that we can ignore it, just like the crew could ignore this creature that's in the cargo bay if they wanted to. Just kind of, we'll just leave it alone. We'll let it do its thing back Mm. there. Maybe Maybe it won't eventually come out in the ship and get us. Or we can go and we can tackle it head on, but there are risks in that as well. And because of the nebulous nature of this creature, I also think the story fits well into the horror genre. In that respect, that that it is something about our lives mm. that is are somewhat beyond our control, and therefore is frightening.
1: Um, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, I I really like your your take on that. The one thing it also made me think of is. How sometimes Star Trek stories have been written based on the personal fears of the writers. Um yeah. and an example of that, and you may be able to help me here, um, it's a TNG episode where Lieutenant Barclay is dealing with his uh, Realm fi- of Fear. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Now that yeah. episode with the was The transporter psychosis, yeah. Yeah, and it was based on Brannon's own fear of flying. And it also reminds me of the episode Vanishing Point, once again, dealing with transporter. Yes, those Anxiety. two episodes have
0: a lot of similarities, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So um, it, 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 it whilst they aren't overtly horror episodes, they are derived from um, an interpretation of a personal fear.
0: Let me ask you a question about those, though. So in Realm of Fear, unfortunately, we did not get to meet Barkley's dad. Of course, we famously did meet Hoshi's dad in Vanishing Point. Is the horror element for you the idea that you might slowly vanish or is the horror element Hoshi's dad, the conversation with Hoshi's dad yeah, and how the, horrible that was?
1: The horror element comes <laughs> from imagining myself in Hoshi's place and then realizing that that would mean by default that he was my dad.
0: <laughs> and Half of my genes come from him. <laughs> so so yeah personal fears definitely that that comes into play there And the crossing is another one and Mm -hmm. the crossing is interesting because we get into the realm of non-corporeal beings it's actually the first time on the timeline that any crew in Star Trek encounters non-corporeal beings, but of course, because it's Enterprise mm. and the series was made last, it feels like something that we as the viewer have experienced happening to the crew over and over again. But, but beyond that, for me, it's almost like it's like being swallowed by the well. That ship, the the Wisp ship, the aliens in that episode are we call them the Wisp, and that ship. Almost looks like a well, right, and it comes up behind mm. the enterprise and and the 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 bay doors open it 's like the mouth of the great well opening swallows the ship, and archer even makes the comment to to Paul that we're in the belly of the beast
1: mm. there that, yeah, that that's um i've never thought about it like that. I must admit with this episode, I wouldn't have up front thought of it as a horror. Themed episode, but it was actually someone on Twitter that suggested it to me months ago, when I was just thinking about this idea of of horror. And the more I thought about it, and particularly leading up to today, the way I interpret this episode is as um, uh, you know, a, a possession, an exorcist
0: kind right. of yeah. There's take a lot of that
1: there, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but certainly, yeah, that imagery of of being swallowed up by this ship is um. Is quite, once again, to me, unset- I use that word a lot, but it's unsettling.
0: Well, I think the two go together. Mm. So the possession and the being swallowed by the ship, being mm. swallowed by the great beast, they both tie into to a loss of control. Mm-hmm, they, both, they both play into confinement and a loss of control over yourself or your situation. So when the ship is inside, the wisp ship, and and i love the scenes when they're looking out the window because of of the blue and it's almost like what you could imagine it might be like if you were inside the belly mm-hmm. of of some of a whale or a beast or something it's it's you might look outside and of course this is you know maybe not in reality you being swallowed by a whale but um just just imagining think think back to to star wars for example when the millennium falcon goes inside the uh, the the creature in the asteroid, mm-hmm. and they're inside uh, that body. It's kind of like that, and but but there's um it's confinement. You can't get out. You're trapped. And likewise, uh, now an interesting take on this in the crossing is that sometimes when we have non corporeal beings take over the body of a crew member in Star Trek, they share the body mm-hmm. with the crew member. But this was like an exchange. This was that they yeah. took over the body and then the for lack of a better word the soul of the crew member goes out into the ether and that actually they're exchanging places
1: this is one of the things that makes me most uneasy watching this episode is i find myself thinking what has happened to our crew member you know yeah. what what are they experiencing is there an anxiety is it i mean, I mean th- these creatures try to say that they're having the time of their life but you know, we don't know that. There's vested interests here, and and so yeah, that that's that's where it actually strikes at me is is yeah, uh, and, and putting myself in that position and thinking we've got no idea what these people are going through. I mean, never mind how disturbing it is when Reed starts hitting on to Paul. <laughs> is it to Paul? Yeah. He hits on to Paul, and um, is it to Paul that he says well, it was someone else in the lift? I think it was someone else. I'm a man and you're a woman. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're a female, I'm a male. Yeah. There seem to be anatomical differences. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's really and disturbing. And she's like,
0: sir, gets <laughs> off the turbo lift. But when he goes into T'Pol's quarters, mm. yeah, that's where he's like, well, you know, if if we're going to mate, you're going to need to just robe. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, do, do you think it's appropriate that you're here at this hour? <laughs> but, you yeah. know, it's but it's frightening in the sense of of – it's Reed. It's Reed's body to everyone else who just looking on. That's Reed. But it's not Reed. So it's this fear of losing yourself, losing control, mm. losing your identity. Uh, beyond just being possessed, it's just this idea. I mean, just think about the fact if you lost control of, you, of who you were. Yeah. That, that's very, very scary.
1: Um, almost uh, like being in a coma. Um, some level yeah. of conscious, well, whether with consciousness or not, but but certainly the body is still there. But the mind isn't. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting though in this episode that when Reed is being inhabited, the first thing he does is go and hits on all the women. When the fir- <laughs> when Trip is being yeah. inhabited, the first thing he does is go and eats everything in sight.
0: <laughs> right. I I love that scene where he's holding <laughs> up a piece of bread. He goes, "Have you ever tried this?" <laughs> Archer's like. Yeah, it's called bread. <laughs> Have you ever eaten that before? <laughs> it's like he finds the most ordinary bland thing in the kitchen. Yep. Like, damn, this is good. You ever tried this?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> God, what happens when he finds the chili?
1: Oh, that would be interesting.
0: But it is interesting to see what everyone does when they're possessed, no doubt. And another interesting thing that it's actually maybe elevates the fright level in that episode a bit is that it's hard to tell at times who's possessed and who isn't. There are Mm. moments where you think Archer is possessed, but he's not. You're not quite sure. There are moments where you think Phlox is possessed. When Phlox goes to Hoshi's quarters, you almost think that he is possessed and he's taking the phaser to protect Mm. himself Mm. against Hoshi, if the Wisp had left her body because the body was injured, uh, it, it's, yeah. So it's, it really it's does um, play into that other fear tell.
1: of, um you know, not knowing who you can trust as a viewer. Right,
0: yeah.
1: As yeah. well as for the career. Yeah, even as a viewer. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: It's so much in that episode that, you know, didn't strike me the first times I watched it. But, yeah, the more I think about it, there's a lot of – um a well, it's the there. thing
0: that it's not, that's the thing. It's not horror mm. in the sense that if you say horror to someone and the first thing they think of as being horror, I would say the crossing doesn't fall into that category. Mm. But when you think of it as things that are frightening, things that are startling, things that induce, uh, you know, feelings of horror, mm. then It qualifies for that. Now, regeneration came along with the Borg and the Borg themselves are very scary. One thing I like about Enterprise and regeneration is that they treated the Borg more like the original Borg, not like the Voyager Borg Mm -hmm. who you could sit down and talk to and negotiate with and work together and, you know, like run relays with and pass the baton and these are more like the horror film zombies mm. coming at you, mindless. They don't care. They're going to walk right over you, just like they were in The Best of Both Worlds.
1: The mission is very mechanical. Right. Single um, focus. Well, the what was mentioned in Episode 2 of Warp 5 when we spoke with Brannon was that this episode was actually intended as an homage to The Thing, which is uh, interesting as well. I know when... The beginning especially. Yeah, when when I was going to say that, when we look at at those Arctic scenes and, um, I mean, the open is great visually. It's quite stunning. And then we go into, you know, when they're actually in the lab and doing the tests and it starts to come alive and... Uh, a little bit frankensteiny as well. Um yeah. there's a similar I think it's an episode of the X-Files which is a little like that as well and and then I also think of um uh aliens versus predator the first one which is also mm. set you know in Antarctica and um you know there's this sense of something hiding in the ice in a place of complete isolation. Uh, you know, and if you're going to get into trouble, it's going to be real trouble.
0: Makes you worry about opening your freezer, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, What's going to be under the ice cubes? Oh, oh no, I, I'll have my scotch without ice today, thanks.
0: <laughs> right. You know, on the Enterprise Season 2 Blu-rays for Regeneration, there's the great commentary with John Billingsley and with his wife, Bonita, Fred Reese. and bonita's so funny at that opening where she says this is where you run far away and then she says and this is where you run far away the other direction just get <laughs> out of there just run <laughs> just exactly what you're thinking right
1: yeah yeah um and i and in and, you know in that those early scenes and and we've got we've got it coming alive and and one guy says oh you know maybe we should just kind of put it back on ice again. no, no, nah, nah, like, it'll, be, it'll be fine. And he's like, oh, you know, it doesn't exactly look friendly.
0: <laughs> you know, we have a poll on the website on Trek FM that it's about this episode. And the question is, if you found a Borg frozen in the ice, what would be the first thing that would tip you off that it is dangerous? And because so many Star Trek fans haven't watched Enterprise Mm. and they don't know this episode, they often will reply, because it's a Borg, duh. Mm. And I want to say, no, no, it's about the episode Regeneration. These people don't know what a Borg is. They just Mm. find this thing. And you as the viewer, of course, know what it is. And you're looking at it and you're thinking, let's see, it's got like a cutter on its arm It's got like a gun attachment on its arm. Uh, I think these things would tip me off Mm. that it might be dangerous, but not these researchers. Nope.
1: But they do have a little bit of that discussion, you know, (laughs) the the one with a little bit of sanity, you know, he's kind of got a gun instead of an arm and it was a healthy arm. Now what (laughs) kind of people do that? (laughs) Right. Oh, you know, infinite diversity.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Each infinite to his weapons own. and <laughs> infinite combinations,
1: yeah, it's not a sign so of a um, friendly species,
0: right, so while we're on the topic of zombies, we can go into impulse, mm. and this is just flat out zombie movie right here, yeah, with Vulcans, so you've got strong zombies on top of that, so uh, if, if zombies don't scare you, strong zombies really should. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Vulcan zombies—that's that's some scary stuff. I I love this episode, and I I actually haven't watched it enough. I think just where it sits in the flow of episodes, you know, I'd haven't watched probably season three as much as some of the other stuff, um, and I tend to watch it in bits and pieces. But um, Impulse is is great because you've got the zombies on the Vulcan ship, but then you've also got what's happening with T'Pol. Um, so we've, we can relate through her and we've got that fear for her as one of our members, members of our crew, but then you've got this really imminent threat to the enterprise in general as well. So it kind of, it is, it is very obviously a, a, um, a zombie episode, but, um, I find it to be a lot of fun. It probably pushes that horror envelope a little bit more than some of the other stuff.
0: I think so. You know, there's the scene with lots of zombie Vulcans trying to get through the door. Uh, they're they're coming down, and and it's just classic attack of the zombies. It's almost yeah. like the um, it's like the the trailer that they've been running on Japanese television anyway for World War Z, the mm-hmm. the new movie version of that, and where you see like all the zombies just pouring off the side of this building. I think it is where there's just so many of them coming at you. It it really feels like that. And in terms of to pull, it does ramp up the fear a bit because, I mean, what scares you most about zombies? Is the idea that a zombie is going to come and eat your brains? <laughs> or is it the idea that you could be who you are and then somehow you yourself could become mindless undead in this way? And again, going back to what we were talking about earlier of... Losing yourself, mm. that could happen as well, and so that that that's frightening. And so, Tuppole is going through that. You know, T'Pol mm. is saying, "This is going to happen to me. It's already happening.
1: Yeah, it's inevitable."
0: And right, and so she becomes a point of view character mm. as well. In that, what if this were to happen? What would it? What would I feel like if I were losing myself?
1: Um, and and that that very point makes me think of um, something like Aliens Three where Ripley's got the alien in her chest and she knows it's going to burst through and it's going to breed, you know, and and it's inevitable this thing's going to happen to her and we follow her journey and how she deals with that emotionally and coming to terms with it. That's what that reminds me of. But the the other thing that scares me about the zombie aspect of this episode is it's not just losing control of yourself, it's the fact that, that zombies, even zombie Vulcans, cannot be reasoned with you know right and particularly because some would say that
0: some would say that normal Vulcans can't be reasoned (laughs) with Kate
1: (laughs) (laughs) it it depends on your idea of reason I guess but (laughs) I think that that element of uh it's a little bit like what we see in the Borg and regeneration are these mindless automatons and um You know, and you can't convince them to follow their conscience because they just don't have one. They're they're undead with the the zombies. Um, You know, and Vulcans in particular are so, you know, logic is the centre of their world and yet you've got these Vulcans that have, you know, just been, their, their whole identity is stripped away by the fact that they've become zombies there is they're completely stripped of their logic, so it's it's right. even more intense in facing. You know, it's not like you've got a Vulcan standing in front of you and and um, you can talk about Surak's teachings and convince them to um, let go of their uh, emotions.
0: Right, because like humans, Vulcans have a very violent tendency. You might mm-hmm. even say they have a, a, an even more violent past mm-hmm. than humans. And it is the logic, it is Sorak's teachings that allow them to keep that in check. And so when mm. that's gone, mm. and they're mindless, and they're really strong, and then the violent tendency yeah. comes out as well, yeah, you're in, you're in big trouble.
1: So they really are the perfect species with which to explore that zombie theme for that reason.
0: They are. Like zombie Ferengi, that wouldn't be very frightening,
1: <laughs> I don't think. Ooh, Marx. <laughs>
0: they they want your lobes lobes must have lobes yes
1: (laughs) yeah you know that
0: reminds me there's a rule of acquisition that says never trust a man who doesn't make time for (laughs) umaks seriously maybe
1: that's the scary version of the the zombie they just zombie Ferengi, they just have (laughs) given up completely on Oomox. You just can't trust them anymore. (laughs) Mindless automaton Ferengis. No regard for the pleasures of Ferengi life. Or maybe it's that they have actually just completely given up on Latinum.
0: That that, that would drive them mad for sure. (laughs) Well, let's go on to doctor's orders. Now, this one is... This one is horror in the sense of of suspense. Mm. Again, Flocks even has the line in this episode: "Is this a starship or a haunted house?" Mm. Right after he meets what who he thinks is Topol for the first time, which is of course actually all in his head. But this is—it's really the classic: the fear of being alone. Right? Mm. It, it's actually—it's so much like One on Voyager.
1: Mm. It's that's the one where she's having to look after the ship alone because they're going through that dangerous region of space and they're all in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. And that's exactly what's going on here too. You know, the yeah. the nx one has to go through a dangerous region of space mm. and Phlox has to manage the ship. So it's, it's very, very much like Voyager episode, but, but it is that fear of being alone. What goes on inside your head? You know, yeah. Phlox is hearing noises he mentions it's too bad. It, it's I shouldn't have watched The Exorcist last week. <laughs> he actually has that line <laughs> in the episode, and and then he starts imagining to Paul.
1: Mm. Um, it's uh, and, and I'm uh, my pick up. I'm, I'm actually a massive horror thriller fan as well as sci-fi, and one of my favorite um movies and and books is The Shining by Stephen King. And um, and that book also very much deals with that theme of being alone and cabin fever and what happens with the mind um, when you're left to your own devices and slowly going insane. And there's a phrase you mentioned, haunted house. There's a, a general phrase: uh, the mind is is like a haunted house. You shouldn't go in there alone. Uh, and and that's what I think of with this episode.
0: So it's this is Stephen King in space.
1: It is. <laughs> You know, in that that particular book and movie, the hotel is called the Overlook Hotel, and doesn't Reed often say this isn't a, a pleasure cruise when he's talking about? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. the Overlook uh, pleasure cruise.
0: So this one is—it's um, a fun episode because that's what's interesting too. You know, horror doesn't always have to be uh, purely frightening because. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a fine episode as well as a, as a psychologically suspenseful episode. Yeah. Largely because Phlox is the character who they chose to keep awake. Uh, I love the fact that we get these tidbits like Phlox walking around the ship naked because <laughs> he thinks everyone is in a coma, induced coma. And the way that they, you know, they, he he walks in and you can't really see his midsection. He feeds the animals, turns the side. He's got the little, uh, little pad, strategically placed as he walks over. <laughs> it's <laughs> there's wonderful humor in this episode as well. We
1: learn a little bit about what he likes to do in his spare time. Actually, you mentioned The Exorcist and how he'd watch The Exorcist in. Uh, Cogenitor, when Tripp is is taking the Cogenitor to, to go and watch some movies and they're looking through things that they've shown in former movie nights. Um, and uh, one of the things that they had shown was uh, The Bride of Chaotica. And, of course, uh-huh. you know, that's a little a toast to what happens in Voyager. But they also show a lot of horror films, you know, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and so it's kind of reinforced through their movie nights as well.
0: And that's the kind of horror that I, that I like is, mm. is the older stuff like Frankenstein. Mm. So that's uh doctor's orders. And uh, then the one other one, and of course we saved this for last because, you know, we wanted to save the best for last.
1: Yeah. This is scary for so many reasons.
0: That's of course extinction, which I tweeted <laughs> yesterday is ninety seconds of great message and forty one minutes of what the hell is this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't watched this episode in so long, but I also watched it last night, and um i I now know why I blocked it out of my mind. Um, there are so many disturbing aspects of this, but but <laughs> to be to be serious to start with um there is that sense again, almost like the zombie theme of being taken over by something, you know, whether it's yes. a, a virus like we see in so many, you know, not necessarily zombie movies, but a virus, or yeah, uh, by by zombiness spreading, or or just losing losing control of one's own faculties, you know, and we can see that explored in a medical capacity sometimes as well. Um, of, of just things changing about you or, or events happening in your life that you have absolutely no control over. And that's how I look at this. But also actually with this episode, when it's revealed that the entire species has actually been long dead, there's that devastation right. when Archer, Reed, and Hoshi realise that they are alone so that isolation that being the last of your species as well yeah um and in the very ending when we realize that it's actually a virus that has caused them to change in this way and that was the way that this species tried to ensure that they lived on i then reflected back on that and thought imagine that the the fear that these people would have felt as as it was all coming to an end and they knew it was inevitable like a media coming right. for your planet almost.
0: Right. Well, right. They know it's coming to an end. Mm. So what do they do? They create this virus. that That's the part of the episode I like. It's mm. the last 90 seconds mm. of the episode in sick bay with Flox and Archer where, you know, Flox says we need to destroy the virus and Archer mm. says, no, it's, you know, they, as you said, they created this in an attempt to save their civilization we came out here to save earth Mm. and I'm not going to destroy another civilization in the process. Mm. So he told the doctor to put it on ice and that part of it, that that was a great message. And I I feel like, and also this episode it's very promising at the start. Like the visuals are very interesting. You're talking about the
1: uh, Vulcan neuro pressure.
0: No, not, no, the very start, <laughs> the, the 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 suit, like the decontamination suits that mm. uh, they are, that these aliens are wearing, mm. the the lights on the helmets, the flamethrowers. It reminds mm. me a lot of a comic. There's a Doctor McCoy Frontier Doctor comic where these people on this planet they are using, uh, I, I believe it actually is flamethrowers, if I remember correctly to destroy a vegetation which they think is uh, is harming them. And and that comic, actually, it's a lot like Voxola as well because it turns out that the vegetation is a planet-wide organism, mm. just like that, that creature in Voxola is actually mm. part of a planet-wide organism. But visually, when Extinction starts, I'm thinking, oh, well, this looks like it could be a really good episode. And there's that great little exchange at the very end of it, but everything in the middle mm. is like, what? The It's it's like it's an interesting concept and the concept itself fits well into the horror genre for the things that you just said. You know, mm. it, it is very interesting. What if things were coming to an end and you couldn't do anything about it and you have to find a way to save yourself? The execution of it, though, is just so, so bad all the way through.
1: Well, that opening scene with the flamethrower, flame when I watched it again last night and it was really disturbing to me it was like oh my god that's so the the idea of just burning this person alive like it was it was so effective um i do just feel like the I, i what i wondered after i'd watched it is how could they have done this differently because that end message was good but they needed the background stuff to get there um it just felt so dragged out um, you know, maybe if we could have had more things going on on the ship as, as they started to learn that it actually was you know, a virus that had and why it had been created, I don't know, I just don't know how they could have done it differently. But it, there was so little going on for the majority of the episode.
0: A lot of the problem with the episode are the lines of dialogue and how they're mm-hmm. delivered. I mean, even Scott Bakula, who is a fantastic actor. I think comes off poorly in this episode because of the lines and, Mm. and Hoshi comes off terribly in this episode. Mm. I think that if this were a next generation episode, the primary focus would be on data and Geordi trying to unravel the mystery. Yes. Instead of it being on the characters that are affected by it. And I think that taking that approach would, it would make the, the scientific element, because actually, ultimately, this there is a scientific uh, horror element to this. It would make it stronger in that case, and uh, also the, the focus ethical was,
1: dilemma that they're facing right. would would carry through stronger at the end as well. Right,
0: because you would have a staff meeting, and Picard mm. would debate over whether he should, uh, you know, destroy the virus or whatever. Mm. I think that's how you would have to approach an episode like this because the idea behind it is interesting. Mm. It's it's a great. Science fiction concept is just pulled off very poorly uh, in a way it reminds me a little bit and it 's not an exact parallel here, but it reminds me a bit of the Andromeda strain, which is of course a fantastic classic s f story mm. about a virus you know mm. that's transforming people and it actually can drive people insane, which is not exactly what happens to the crew here, but in a sense it is because they do lose their identities, they do lose who they are
1: uh, well i have so a, there, a, there's a bit of that in there I have a question for you. do you know. Which episode of Star Trek Voyager was based on the story The Fly?
0: Oh, well, that's Threshold.
1: Yeah. Yes. And that's exactly what I found myself thinking of watching this episode.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A nasty attempt at um, de evolution, for want of a better word. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, talk about de evolution. The next generation, Genesis.
1: Oh, yeah. they've got one of them, haven't they?
0: Yeah, which which I believe was a, was one of Brandon's stories, wasn't it?
1: Uh, I believe so. Yes.
0: And it's it's like Riker turning into a Neanderthal. I get Barkley turning into a spider. I, were Bar- <laughs> somewhere along the line did Barkley have an arachnid? grandparent or something i don't quite know how that works yeah (laughs) (laughs) so
1: that was just odd
0: it was odd it was definitely odd all right well we have run through seven different episodes from enterprise that fall under the horror genre do you have any final thoughts on the topic
1: um as I've said, I'm a massive horror fan anyway, so I tend to be drawn to elements that, that trigger some of those fear responses in me, um, not just in Enterprise but in all of the Star Trek series. Um and I think as we've said, the the key in thinking about Star Trek from the perspective of horror is is not to think about, you know, slasher fix or you know, really right. overt demonstrations of horror or blood or gore because we don't really see much blood at all in Star Trek. It's it's very rare that you'll see anything like that. But, you know, the, it, the key to seeing horror in Star Trek is in looking at the responses that the stories are attempting to elicit in us and and that's not always going to be in displays as overt as fight or flight with people hanging on meat hooks it it may be certain anxieties that it triggers and allows us to connect with the story and the characters. I'm sure there are many more episodes than we've covered today that that do that, perhaps not as strongly, but they certainly tap into those those elements. Right, but you can
0: find elements of of, Mm. of horror in other stories as well and that fright Mm. most definitely. Well, it's been a very interesting discussion, Kate, but horror isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm,
1: Standard Orbit. Talking Spock with Dave Rossi. But now you add in the wild card for this one character that one of the most emotional races in the universe, human beings is half of what he is. Earl Grey. TNG introductions. Well, because I, I think Data's Day was actually the one I was thinking of, so since that one's already taken, I might come into this No, I'll just erase angle.
0: everything that Daniel said. And, uh, <laughs> and no, Daniel, no. the first time we have a guest. Really? Gosh, <laughs> <No>.
1: Favoritism!
0: <laughs> you one-upped her. The Ready Room. The Squire of
1: Gothos.
0: Nobody has that much power. They must have some kind of transporter matter reshaper device. And it must be over there because he's hanging out by it. You know, it's a small room. What do you expect him to? Like, I'm gonna dance over here by the salt vampire. I don't... <laughs> the orb. The, the orb. Invasion, invasion tactics. And Bashir says, look, I know what the orders say, but he attacked Chief O'Brien and we have rules against that sort of thing here. So I think that they're trying to figure out, yes, the Federation has rules, but how much are they willing to bend the rules depending on how we push their buttons to the journey dealing with the end of voyager I've recorded these on tape and they were all kind of out of order and so I had my own shuffle where I would just I just put in a random tape and I would get an episode from season two season six and then season three you know and it was just really cool that's awesome just a grab bag yeah it really was and so that was my way of coping was just spending time with my friends <laughs> warp five season one highs and
1: lows he's talking about uh, it's more of a satiny one okay pretty plain with the piping over the shoulders in the three colors yeah no that's a I, good I ordered
0: it but they they sent me to paul's catsuit instead and it doesn't I really know. Fit me,
1: it didn't so. really hug your curves in the right places did it
0: commentary trek stars
1: Harlan Ellison's Soldier.
0: It's like Mr. Belvedere, if Mr. Belvedere had really severe PTSD from a war in the future. It's like Small Wonder, but with a Klingon instead of a little girl. It's like Elf, if Elf killed tons of people. (laughs) Literary Treks. David Mack, A Ceremony of
1: Losses. And then we color-coded it, and we started lining up dates and uh, events and saying, well, this book runs from this date to this date these events in this book happen on these dates so that if you're writing this scene in book two you know that it happens exactly let's say 11 days after this event in book one
0: and that sort of meticulous down to the you know fine detailed granular planning became absolutely essential and that's what else is happening on trek.fm So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them all in a variety of places, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. Or you can stream or download from the website. So check out all the shows and find out what we've been talking about. Kate, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on horror, on Enterprise, or anything else, Enterprise. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to both Kate and me by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about Enterprise and Warp 5. Also, in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and you'll find us on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek under username trekfm. Now, Kate, when you're not, uh, you know, hiding in the corner, covering your eyes and uh, trying to avoid being eaten by Vulcan zombies, where Mm. can people find you?
1: Well, on those rare occasions where I'm not doing any of those things or avoiding the freezer section of my refrigerator you can find me on twitter (laughs) at kate is great okay Uh, i'm active on twitter most days and usually i'm having conversations with a number of people about enterprise or star trek in general so send me a message or follow me and uh, join in the chat
0: Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And elsewhere on the network, you can find me on a variety of shows. I do two shows with Matthew Rushing, the Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine, and Literary Treks, where we talk about Star Trek books and comics and interview authors. And also I do the Ready Room with hosts from all over the network, as well as special guests. And we talk about all five live action Star Trek series and Star Trek news on that show. And then I also have my interview show, Matterstream, where I talk to actors and writers and scientists and all sorts of people about topics loosely associated with Star Trek. So check out all of those shows as well. And also, Kate, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsor for this week's show. Your support of our sponsor makes it possible for us to bring Warp 5 to you every week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. They have 150,000 titles over there on Audible, and they have new titles coming every week. Lots and lots of classics, also current bestsellers. You know, these days, most books that are published do come out in audio format, and they have them right there on Audible.com for you to download in just an instant. In terms of Star Trek, they have lots of famous Star Trek books, like Prime Directive Federation and Spock's World, Lots of TNG books, lots of TOS books. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a trial, to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of Warp 5 and the network.
1: We also wanted to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. If you'll enjoy the jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me here on Warp 5, you'll find that plus nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek. So if you're feeling a little bit anxious and edgy after watching your favourite horror episodes of Enterprise, pick up the album in iTunes or on Amazon and I'm sure that'll smooth you out.
0: Oh, most definitely. You know, after I've run into aliens hanging on meat hooks, been mm. chased down the corridor by Borg and Vulcan zombies, and partially absorbed by plastic-wrapped creatures, <laughs> the only way I can unwind is with a little bit of Andrew's Smooth Federation.
1: That makes both of us, Chris.
0: <laughs> and a glass of wine. <laughs> And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep Warp 5 coming to you each week, and that is by adopting some aliens. And don't worry, they're not scary aliens like the kind we talked about today— these are beautiful illustrations by Tobu Ushi this original artwork by the same artist who does most of the artwork that you see on our website we have them available as badges and art prints and you can mix and match choose which ones you want in which format we have different levels of contributions for you to choose from and your donations make it possible for us to pay for the cost of production hosting and bandwidth that's needed to bring warp 5 and all of our other shows to you each week and you'll find these aliens over at trek.film slash donate and we really thank you for for helping us keep the network going.
1: Once again, we'd like to thank everyone for listening. Join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.